It's an argument we've all had. The book was better than the movie. Nah, the movie was better than the book. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show, focused on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. Well, books and movies share an overarching similarity. They're both telling stories. But obviously the way they go about doing that is pretty different. And on top of that, sometimes a story told one way is problem-free, while the other format introduces issues that may be more problematic. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Joining me for our conversation are... Emily Clark, Paul Acey, and Jonathan McKee. Well, to get us started today, I've got a fun question. At least, well, I think it's a fun question. <laughs> what, what is the first real book, as in a novelish kind of book, not little golden books or board books or, you know, Mickey Mouse books, that you remember capturing your imagination as a young reader? I don't know, man. That was that was a lot of qualifications there. Wait, now what books can they not can they okay. not be again? Unless, can't be unless it was like you know some sort of. See, I'm not sure if John yeah, read a chapter book yet. Yeah, so yeah. We'll see. <laughs> maybe it's some a, other people's answers will help you, Jonathan. So does maybe it actually you have go to be first. A, a bound book. Uh, okay, no, I. I <laughs> you know what? I, I you know what? Go, I'm gonna go first. I'm gonna okay, go, go for first. it. Go for it, please. I remember reading the Boxcar Children. That was the first oh, book I yeah. read. That I actually like remember reading on my own. It was a chapter book, not a picture book, <laughs> and that was about these four orphans who. Uh, this is like I guess this is like pre foster care system, but. Um, these four orphans, they build a home for themselves inside of an abandoned boxcar, which is like something that goes on. It's part of a train, essentially. And they build a little home for themselves. And then eventually, later in the book, they uh, meet their grandfather, who they always believe that he was a cruel man. But it turns out he's a very loving, very kind man. He moves them into his giant home because, of course, he's rich. And he puts the back the boxcar into their backyard so that they can play in it for the rest of their lives. And it's just the story... It's a whole series, but um, it just follows kind of their adventures, you know, after they move into grandfather's house. Um, and yeah, it's a fun little story. That's a great one. You know, I've never read The Boxcar Children. I haven't I, either, but, I, but my family has, so. I, I feel like I need to read it right now. I'm going to, I, right after this podcast, I'm going to go check it out. So. <laughs> you could probably read it in one sitting, Paul. It is made for like second to sixth graders, I think. That's about my level. So that's perfect. <laughs> So I, I had a really difficult time with this question because there were just so many books when I was in elementary school that just sparked my imagination. But the one that I'm going to mention today is Children of Green No. Uh, L.M. Boston wrote this huge series of, of Green No books, and essentially they take place in this old English castle, and there's ghosts, and there's treasure. And in this first one, there's also a gigantic, monstrous walking hedge essentially it's huh. it's like this this actual utopiary thing that that has overgrown and so sometimes at night it sort of shambles around and i think the reason why I, I, it popped into my mind is because after reading it i did not sleep for the next I was three say, nights i was so like worried about city. gigantic bushes yeah. i was really worried about them <laughs> Right. And it, it inspired you to come up with words like utopiary, which 
utopia. It sounds is like, that a like a paradise. And, and it's a, a paradise bush. Exactly. <laughs> I think he meant you, as in the wood. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah, I All was. Right. I was good. trying to figure that one out. That was cool, and it inspired, I guess, the three amigos, the singing bush that terrified Paul right? as well. Um, <laughs> oh man, three that, amigos. That, just that, a that, horror movie from top to bottom. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, my book. Um, mine was definitely the Phantom Toll Booth. Uh, oh, yeah. oh yeah. There was something about just a crazy like I, I was a very imaginative kid and um I actually liked writing as a kid and I would I'd make up tales and 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 it was just one of those that kind of like I don't know it resonated with me about this you know kid Milo um and I remember there was a dog named Talk who was like a clock dog and they went <laughs> to this magic kingdom and uh, have you guys read it do you yes. remember it all yes oh. my my kids actually made me read it it was a great book it was a yeah. fantastic book really good that was the one for me for sure well mine is a book called Snow Dog by an author named Jim Kielgard, and I hesitated because I literally looked this up on the internet last night to find out how to pronounce his last name because it's K-J-E-L Gard. And it's interesting, depending on what country you're from, it's pronounced differently. So we're going to just go with Jim <laughs> Kielgard. And, and uh, he's sort of like Jack London light. I mean, this is a dog in the wilderness story. Um, but I just remember being so fascinated by the story and by the character of the snow dog, this, you know, puppy that gets abandoned. And um, I remember, and this is, this is funny. Uh, well, again, I think it's funny. You can weigh in on whether you think it's funny or not um, that the author continually uses the word windfall, not like a lot of money that you just got from a deceased relative unexpectedly, but a tree that has fallen down and created a little safe space. And I, and I remember being fascinated with, that word and that image. Um, and so I, I think it's interesting, especially with our young minds, how different ideas, different words, different images really can capture our imagination. And I don't think that stops as we become adults. I just think it there are more layers there and more complexity and more subtlety. Wow, that was just so profound. I don't even have anything to say. <laughs> All I can right, think about well, is the vocabulary, the incredible vocabulary there. That was me. No, I was a pretty annoying child. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but, you know, I grew up to be an annoying adult, so it all worked out for me. Well, <laughs> we're going to be talking about this relationship between books and movies today. And I want to start with a story of a friend I will call Jim. Uh not his real name. Uh, and when Peter Jackson's big screen adaptation of the Lord of the Rings launched in 2001 with the fellowship of the ring, I don't know about you guys, but like I was at the front of the line, right? Uh, I wanted, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I wanted to be there as fast as I could be. It was, you know, back, you know, when you, well, when you went to theaters for starters, but uh, you know, the midnight screening, that whole thing, my friend, Jim, mm, not so much. So Jim was a purist. He's like, I'm not seeing it. I don't want to ruin my experience of, uh, of the Lord of the Rings. And no matter how good people say it is, it will not be as good as my imagination. And, you know, sometimes you, you people who know me well know that I'm, I'm prone to similar, uh, slightly mm, opinionated, maybe even obnoxious statements. And I often don't stick to them. But uh, Jim never saw any of those films. 
And I have to say, I admire the purity of his fandom, even if I think he missed out on three of the greatest movies the last 20 years or so. Uh, But it brings up that age old debate, the tension that I think is inescapable when a beloved book comes to the big screen. And then there are some other, perhaps even more important questions that come to mind when we talk about this relationship between books and movie adaptations. So let's dive in. Okay, I, th- I think this is going to be a, a terrific conversation today, and I want to start with kind of a softball question, but another one that I think is going to be pretty fun. What are some of the most well-known movie adaptations of popular or classic book series? Well, you mentioned one right off the pot. Yeah, when you're talking about Lord of the Rings, that's probably the the quintessential one. And of course, you've got the Harry Potter books, and you've got the uh, oh, Hunger, Hunger Games. Hunger Games, exactly. There's there's Divergent series, Chronicles of Narnia, the Twilight series, uh, any Jane Austen book, um, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to me, too, how many of these really popular movie series, the the books that become movies, they're often these YA uh, young adult tales. You know, the Harry Potter, the you just go down the list and they just have tons and tons of them. They just translate well on the film for some reason. Well, and then there are entire subgenres like stories about teenagers dying of cancer, you know, I mean. How many of those movie translations have we seen? Like The Fault in Our Stars, that's the one that comes immediately to mind. But I know there have been three or four of those just in the last few years. Um, I think it's also interesting that the first things that come to mind are fantasy series or science fiction series or dystopian series, which I'm going to lump all in the same broadly general category. It's fantastical on some level. And then, you know, classics like Jane Austen stuff, you know, or or British period pieces of varying kinds. I mean, how many versions <laughs> of of Jane Eyre have there been? How many versions of yeah. Little Women have there been? Uh, you know, these are stories, even, even something like Black Beauty. There was recently a new Black Beauty movie. I didn't know this. It's been made into a movie four times, and it's based on a book from the 1880s. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of these things have deep roots uh, going back, uh, a lot of them, to England and Great Britain. Well, in, in, in another interesting thing, if we wanted to expand our, our definition of literature, you think about all the superhero movies that we see. I mean, right. those originated in comic book graphic novel form. So you can go on and on and on. Books are just very, hey. very uh, fertile grounds for movies. Hey, 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 wait. Would graphic novels or comics, would they measure up to Adam's standard of an actual book? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I mean, if my pop-up book, Toodaloo Kangaroo, will not make I it up. Well, this. well, ironically, I thought Paul was going the other direction. I thought he was going to talk about the Iliad or the Odyssey or the Bible. <laughs> but no, Paul was going to talk about comic books. So uh, Exactly. Well, we have well, to we have to talk about the elephant in the room. And I'm sorry if I'm taking us on a tangent, but we have to well, talk about that you know but go ahead yeah, but it, whether it meets your standard again oh man <laughs> oh these standards today you pharisee the thing yeah, is funny to I, not qualify as literature uh, i'm sorry oh man well no i it's just a you know i, I think the thing that's uh, so frustrating i think when books come to movies is just how it always just seems with with a few notable exceptions jaws 
uh, most of them just do not measure up. I mean, you, you've, you've read this book and it's amazing. And for some reason you have these visuals of exactly how this individual looks, you know, in your head. And all of a sudden then when you completely. see them on the screen, Oh, good. <laughs> oh, good. And, and, I, and I, and I think there's exceptions for sure. Jaws. But, uh, but I think that <laughs> so often, I mean, how many times have you heard people say Tom Cruise isn't Jack Reacher, Jack Reacher, seven feet tall. You know, uh, and people, I've never heard anybody say that, but go ahead. Uh, okay. Wow. That's funny. Yeah, Cause that's all anybody Jack ever Reacher, says. Is that a graphic novel? That's probably why. <laughs> yeah. No, cause <laughs> it is funny though, because you definitely, I'd say most people, even, even Lord of the Rings. Fantastic. I, I actually, I can't say the movies are better than the book, but I think the movies did a fantastic job and are great movies, but still big, you know, fans of the book were like, well, but what they should have done, you know, they I mean, always do that, you know, cause where's, Tom, it a certain where's way. Tom Bombadil, Emily. Okay. So here's my thing with that. <laughs> I completely disagree with you because I think when I watch a movie, whether it's Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or any of those movies, honestly, I like watching them because oftentimes my imagination does fall short. Like no matter how much beautiful writing people put into the descriptions of characters or locations, like I could never have imagined what Hogwarts castle looks like in my head. It was totally different seeing it on screen. And it gave me a place so that when I continued reading those books, I had a visual in my head now of what it could look like, of how grand and beautiful it could be. Same with Lord of the Rings, you know, like Rivendell, I'm sorry, yeah. Rivendell is a masterpiece in my opinion, what they did on screen for that. And it it's so sad too, because, you know, they built, they built that set and they, oh, I'm sorry. I've, I've gone like full nerd on this where I've seen the documentary <laughs> about how they made yeah, Rivendell yeah. and everything. <laughs> And they they tore it all down afterwards because they didn't want to mess up the landscape. Like they built the set into like based on the landscape and then they took it all down and it was basically, it looked like it had been untouched. And I was just like, man, I would just, I want to live in Rivendell. I want to live in Lothlorien Forest. Like those, (laughs) yeah. So yeah. For me, having having a visual helped me when I was reading future books or even going back and rereading the books. It gave me – I was like, you know what? I know what this character looks like now. They don't just have a plain, boring, like – very generic face they have actual characteristics on their face and there's little things like you know daniel radcliffe doesn't have the green eyes that harry potter has because he couldn't wear the contact lenses and you know emma watson doesn't have buck teeth because when she wore the the tooth prosthetic it gave her a lisp or or speech impediment while she was trying to do those scenes in harry potter you know like those are little things about the characters that I can overlook them because in my mind, I still can put their face and I can give Daniel Radcliffe green eyes in my mind if I need to, you know? So for people to sit there and be so nitpicky you about it. You have gone full nerd. Like, <laughs> no, I don't agree with you guys. So yeah. I, I have to disagree with, with both of you, actually. You know, I, I, just to and be then I'm, I'm going to preemptively disagree with you, Paul, but go ahead. <laughs> I think that part of the thing is that that books and movies hit different parts of our brain, right? And I I think that when you look at The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, 
those are two perfect examples. I think what what Emily says about the Lord of the Rings is absolutely right. It was an incredible visual feat. And I personally think that the the Lord of the Rings movies were better than the books. I got a little tired of all that elvish poetry in the books. <laughs> when it comes down to to the Hobbit because they heretic did, I know, I know, I know. It's. I told you that I was going to disagree. Well, so but, there you but, go. But for the record, Paul, you don't disagree with me because for our <laughs> listeners who now will run it back and hear what I said, I'll say: Are we going to talk about the fact that people always disagree with? I said people always do, and that's a fact. People absolutely do. They constantly <laughs> will talk no. about this stuff, and they'll sit there and say the movie wasn't as good as the book, with few exceptions. And it seems like there's not a lot of people out there there's not a lot i think emily yeah. is actually in the minority i think most people out there are like the book was better i think that's a louder voice when i think there are exceptions lord of the rings jaws that where yeah. the movie was better but i think the majority uh, of people tend to always be like the book was better I, I would agree with you. I hate to say this, but I would agree with that <laughs> statement, Jonathan. I, but I do think that there's something about movies and books that just hit you differently. They, yeah. they scratch different parts of your brain's itch. Absolutely. And, and that was a good so point. I think that, that when you have a movie that really embraces the spirit of the book, like The Lord of the Rings did, I think that you can make an argument for Jaws for sure. Um, they, they feel like they built on what the book did. And then you have other properties like The Hobbit, for instance, that that sort of undermined what the book did, and and that's why that's why book lovers just didn't like him very much. Right. Well, that's yeah. another that's another podcast for another time because I'm in the minority. I love the new Hobbit movies, but I, I think uh, even as I I know uh, right now, just let it go, let it go. Um, <laughs> get the pop up book and just read that. Um, <laughs> Now I'm just now I'm just straight up mocking you, and that's not very kind. And I apologize. <laughs> okay. So I, I'm realizing as I sit here that I think a lot of it also depends on how you read. Like I suspect there are people who really read in a very visual way, where there's that active visualization. And as I'm sitting here thinking about it, when I got to those long descriptive passages in Tolkien, now I'm going to be a heretic, Paul. A lot of times I'm like. Dude, pick up the pace. Can, like, <laughs> right? And right. actually, Peter Jackson could do in three seconds what it would take Tolkien to do, you know, three pages to do. Um, yeah. And so I think the mediums, the media are, they're just different. They function differently. And I think for me, when I'm reading a book, I think I'm realizing I am pretty, I am plot driven and I'm character driven. I'm not really you know, visual special effects driven. Cause I think in some ways that's harder to pull off in writing than it is visually. So well, I think that well, they just, they work differently and they accomplish different things. Well, isn't it amazing too, how all the senses um, that are stimulated when you watch a movie. So to, to argue Emily's point, because again, I don't disagree with Emily because I just said that people disagree. But anyway, um, but I think that, you know, what she talks about going to the theater and that whole experience and um, the soundtrack alone, I keep mentioning Jaws, but Jaws, right. Uh, I got to admit, I mean, John Williams soundtrack made that movie. And right. the thing is, I mean, how many times as a child and, and 
Paul and Adam and I can attest that, you know, when you were, you know, in 1980 and you were in the swimming pool with your friends, what'd you do? You stuck your hand on your head like a fin. And what'd you start doing? You start going, da, 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 da. And you start chasing your friend around the pool. I mean, well, that's I, what, still, I still do that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, and we start trying to emulate that John Williams soundtrack. And right. there's something about when you, you know, sit in a, you know, uh, like my house, I got the subwoofer nice and loud. And, you know, you start playing that John Williams soundtrack. You start playing Jaws and you just feel that, you know, and it is amazing. And there's, and that's a sense that is kind of tapped. This is a different experience than when you're reading a book. And I got to admit right. when I'm reading books, I, I love the visuals that come in my minds and stuff, but, um, I love the senses that are tapped when I watch some of these movies. And see, here's one of the things, and this might be one of the places that you wanted to go with this conversation, Adam. I know. My script is completely (laughs) – it's obliterated. So I'm going to – you know, at some point I'll get the on-ramp back in, but go ahead. Toodaloo, kangaroo. You're you're dealing with a lot of senses engaged in movies. You're absolutely right, Jonathan. But one of the things that I think makes books so powerful is that you're – actively engaged you know when you are watching a movie it tends to be it can be more passive where you're sitting back and your your senses are being stimulated by the sights and sounds and everything that that you are being exposed to by that movie but when you're reading a book and i think this is one of the reasons why it can be conversely a more powerful experience is your brain is truly engaged in the story You have to lean forward. You have to have more of your mind uh, centered on that story. And because of that, I think the characters can be so powerful and visceral and personal to us. And that's one of the reasons why I think books become this such fertile ground for these movies because the characters are just so firmly planted in your brain that of course you want to see them come to life on the movie screen or on the television well and the thing that books can do that movies can't do is they can tell you what the character is thinking and how many times have you read a book where then you see the movie version and as you're sitting there you know and in the book it talked about all the things he was debating as he was thinking about this and he's looking across the plane and he saw the and then all of a sudden you see in the movie he's there and he looks and they try to capture a look on his face and you're and I, and you kind of are disappointed because you're like oh and, and you literally hit pause button and you turn to your wife and go okay so in the book here's what happened at this right. point here's what he's <laughs> contemplating and, da, 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 and the movie just doesn't get that and then you release it that, that happens all the time I, I think most of the times I feel like that's where the books really you know is better I actually I do agree with you there, Jonathan, because I think that <laughs> when you when you watch a movie, like we've already said, you have all the senses. So oftentimes, and this will go into one of your other questions later if you bring it up, Adam, but like oftentimes <laughs> movies can feel more graphic because of all those senses that it's pricking at. So it's, um, you know, it, it, versus when you're reading a book, you may not have it, it may not feel as graphic when you're reading it, but you it does feel more intimate because you do have the head knowledge of the, the same head knowledge that the characters have because it's explaining what the character is thinking. But then you also can see it, it, 
books can explain concepts and backstories in a way that movies can't necessarily because a movie has to show you that backstory that concept and the one the movie i always think of is i really do think of the harry potter movies or even the chronicles of narnia because so many times when watching those movies with my family we will pause them my dad will pause it and he'll look at me and he'll be like what is happening because he knows i read the books and then i'm like well it doesn't explain this but basically what's happening is blah 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 and i explain all of it in great detail and then he's like okay (laughs) well i think that is a a great lead into my next question and and that is how um how we deal with problematic content in these two different media. So sometimes stories depict difficult issues, you know, murder, suicide, sexual encounters, like in the Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins, we've got children killing each other. At one point in the Twilight Saga, Bella Swan, you know, jumps off a cliff to, you know, she's basically suicidal, um, but she's hoping and believing that her vampire, sparkly vampire friend will come and save her. Um, With those examples (laughs) in mind, and maybe others that you guys might bring up, do you think it's more problematic, especially when we're talking about younger readers or impressionable ones, to read about these things or to watch them in a film? I think that it depends completely on the kid because there are some kids who you will, who can watch a movie and they will be like very disturbed by what they see on screen. And if you, if you're someone who's experienced any kind of trauma and then you see that trauma depicted on screen, sometimes that could be triggering. That could be really hard for you to watch again. It could almost feel like it was your own experience. I think that when you're reading a book, similar things can happen, but I don't know. I think it's slightly different because it's not, you're not visualizing the experience necessarily you're reading about somebody else's similar experience so and i go back to what i just said a minute ago a movie can feel more graphic because of the visuals but a book can feel more intimate because you're in the character's head i almost i almost feel like uh movies and tvs tend to sell out a little bit more um you know hbo is a good example they've had you know, series where they've great writing and great storytelling and you can read article after article where HBO will constantly say, okay, now here's where we need a nudity scene because we need to capture that viewer. So they kind of force these scenes in there. And I don't feel like books do that. I don't feel like books force it. I'm not saying books don't have sexual content or don't have inappropriate content, but I feel like in the movie, yeah, in the movie and the TV genre, they know, Hey, let's throw this stuff in there because that draws viewers. And so you get the gratuitous scene, which I, that's why I love. And what was it? Wayne's world too. When they, when Wayne is kissing the girl and talk gratuitous sex scene and it fades out, you know, it was just so funny. It was like, you were making fun of, it's like, here's where you would insert that scene right there. So we can get those, you know, ticket sales. And I feel like books don't do that. I think I would agree with both of those points. Going back to, to what Emily said, um, it, it really is dependent on the person reading or watching and the context of what they're reading and watching too. Um, the, the images of course in movies and on television, they're so much more visceral. They're right in front of your face. And so because of that, they're, you, they're inescapable really. And they can impact how we 
process the world around us. We we know that 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 violence can be get violence on screen. The the you can you can have a lot of desensitization take place uh, in that that environment. But I don't think that movies change our lives quite the way certain books can. I think that when we find a book that we love, that we really appreciate, that can drive our thinking process in in new and different, sometimes exciting and sometimes damaging ways. And, and so because of that, I, I, I parents just need to be really aware of who their kids are and what they're engaging with, be it in, in movies or, or in book form. Absolutely. That's exactly right. And I think, you know, we often talk about um, as parents, how do we engage with, how do we actively help our kids to work through the issues that they deal with? And frankly, it's a lot easier to watch a two hour movie with one of my kids and have a conversation about it than it is to read a book that they're reading. Um, You know, I have a friend who always would read everything his daughter read before she did and honestly that that's amazing but i think when we're talking about the way books influence i think one of the challenges is for parents um you know just being aware of of what's there and the kind of things that they might be encountering and that's one of the reasons we have book reviews that plugged in is to help you know what your kids might be encountering and also to give you some discussion questions so i think you know, a best case scenario is you and one of your children are either reading the same book independently or even reading it together. Uh, I think my son and I, for years and years, it's actually drifted a little bit since COVID started for lots of reasons, but but we read a book together before he went to bed every night, not like a little golden book, but I think we read 27 novels over the course of about 10 years. And it was terrific because we could stop and have conversations. We could talk about spiritual ideas, um, but it it required something of us that was different than just sitting down and watching a movie or watching a television show. Well, I think that we could probably keep going for a long time on this conversation. Uh, I have had fun today. I hope that those who are listening have enjoyed it as well, because I think that what we've focused on is how stories whether we're talking about the kind in print or on film, really have the power to shape our imagination. And that shapes the way we see the world. It shapes our perspective on what's right and wrong, what's good and bad. Um, And those stories and those characters can have an incredible influence. And the best ones stand the test of time because their authors create characters and conflicts that resonate with the core issues of what it means to be human um, and the problematic ones, you know, are ones that we need to deal with as well because they may dig into deeper parts of our humanity and we need to be actively engaged as we've talked about with our kids as they move into those stories. So what about you and your family? What book to movie adaptations do you love? Which ones do you think stumbled badly and why cough, cough, dune, cough cough we would love <laughs> to hear from you and you can find us on facebook and instagram as well or or shoot us an email at team that's t-e-a-m at the and as our thank you for being a part of the plugged in show family today for a gift of any amount we would also love to send you a copy of our very own paul ac's delightful book 
Burning Bush 2.0. Paul, I put my infomercial voice on there. I hope you appreciated that. <laughs> I do appreciate it. <laughs> and you'll find a link to order that book as well as links to everything else we have talked about here today in our plugged in blog entry for this week's episode. Well, on behalf of our entire team, I want to say thanks so much for listening today. And we look forward to connecting with you again next week for another episode of The Plugged In Show. Plugged In Show.